I'm excited to be back. Thank you for letting my family and I go. We've been gone. If you're new with us, you might not even know this, but my name's Scott, and uh, we have been gone for about a month in France and in Switzerland on sabbatical, and it has been incredible. But man, it's good to be home. I have missed you. I love our church family. I love friends. I love our home. I love Woodland Park. And I am thrilled to be home. And I'm going to share a few thoughts about that. But if you want to know more about the sabbatical, come and ask me. I'll be more than happy to tell you some fun stories and show pictures and all that. But it is great to be home. I think I said that last week, too, but my head was still spinning from being jet-lagged and all that. So I don't even know what I said last week. But it is great to be home. If you uh, know me very well or have been at Impact very long, you know also that James chapter 1, verse 19 is a favorite verse for me. I quote it all the time, whether it be on Sunday mornings or whether it be in daily conversation or in my home. And it simply says this, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, I love that verse. I quote it all the time, not so much because I think I need it, but because I know all of you do. Just kidding, of course. I I mean, you do need it, but so do I very much, and I'm very aware of that. But this is a three-part verse, if you look at it, in the sense that anger, the third part, is, uh, is kind of separated from the first two in some respects. And anger is a huge topic. It's a huge issue for many people. It has been for me at times in my life as well, and maybe you as well. And it's worthy of a lot of sermon development. It fits and flows naturally with the first part of this verse as well. In fact, James goes on to continue to talk about that in the next verse. Much of God's Word talks about the topic as well. But today, I would actually like to put that piece on hold for another time and talk about the first six words of that verse, that phrase, quick to listen, slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, they go hand in hand in that doing one helps you do the other. But at the same time, as we talk about that this morning, I want you to pause and think about this. You know, sometimes we need to remember that listening requires talking. You ever thought of that? It's called active listening um, in the sense that sometimes when you are slow to speak or even totally silent, you are not necessarily actually listening. Has anybody ever been guilty of that? You know, the other person can be talking and you may be totally silent maybe even looking at them, but you're not hearing a word they say. Well, active listening is different than that. The best kind of listening is active in that we, and it often requires follow-up questions. So even though your goal is listening, you sometimes have to talk a little bit by asking clarifying questions, maybe things like this. So, so what I hear you saying is, or, or, or help me understand more about what you mean when you said, Or, if I read you correctly, you're telling me that you think these are all genuine attempts to truly listen, to comprehend, to understand what someone else is saying, as opposed to just letting them talk so that then when they're quiet, you can use what they've said as a springboard to jump off and talk about all your own thoughts and ideas, or or worse yet, to one-up them in some respect. Listening sometimes requires some active things like talking. But we all need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and yet neither of those things is natural, is it? At least it's not for me. It's not natural, it's not intuitive, it's not easy, it's not common. 
but it is so, so important. First of all, it's important for us as we relate to one another. In the context of our human relationships, the people that we are close to on this earth, especially those that we're close to. We just got back from this trip, as I said, to Europe as a family, mostly in France, a little bit in Switzerland, courtesy of our amazing elders who, and all of you as our church family who recognize that after 10 years of ministry here at Impact, that some time away to sit and listen to the Lord in mostly a lot of quietness might be something that would be helpful to help us refocus and be reinvigorated and all of that. And wow, was it ever. It was an incredible time away. We've gone on a lot of different vacations over the years. If you know us well, you know that we kind of like to travel. And over the last few years, we've traveled quite a bit, mostly courtesy of uh, some special inheritance money that Kim got from her grandmother recently. But this was not a vacation, really. I mean, there were elements of that, but mostly this was a sabbatical. It was very different. And it was refreshing, and it was an extremely spiritual experience. And I want to share with you today something that, kind of came out of that that God surprised me with. I didn't go anticipating that I would hear this, but something that he helped me understand. And I am fired up about it. I'm excited and and eager to be back in the saddle and all of that. And I have lots of ideas and thoughts that the Lord has brought to me and helped me kind of process and think through. And you'll hear more about these things as time uh, goes by. But I hope you will see and benefit from a renewed and refocused and more passionate uh, pastor And I hope I can be that at home as a better husband and father and all that as well. But again, not all of our time away was spent just reading and praying. We did a lot of that, but it wasn't only that. We also spent some time together having fun as a family. And depending upon how well we live out certain phrases in the Bible, including this one, quick to listen, slow to speak, sometimes being alone as a family together can be fun. Sometimes. Sometimes, um, you know, James 1.19 is a great verse to memorize, as is uh, Matthew 7.12, a.k.a. the golden rule. You probably know that, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But what I have found, and you probably are smarter than me and knew this all along, but uh, what I was reminded of is that verses like that are fantastic, but they're mostly helpful if you do more than just memorize them and you actually live them out and practice them. That's what I found over the last month, and being all together in another country with no television at all, and almost no internet access, and no familiar things, no friends, or even English-speaking people to meet with, you know, all of that can be great for a family together, or it can also, uh, it also can be a recipe for some frustration and difficulty, because there's nothing to do except look at one another and work through stuff, and anyway... Uh, It was a great time together, but the key is learning to put into practice verses like this, James 1.19, the golden rule and others, in contrast to what we tend to want to do, which is to, at least in the back of our mind, we want to rewrite and kind of memorize them differently as they best suit our needs. You know, like the golden rule becomes do unto others as they have done unto you, or, or do unto others as you think they deserve, like that. That's not what Scripture teaches, but somehow we sometimes get things like that in our head. Or with James 1.19, we say, you know, take note of this. Everyone else should be quick to listen and slow to speak, but I get a pass once in a while if I feel like the situation calls for it and I need to speak up and tell you my mind or whatever. And Yet that's not what the 
Word of God tells us. Now, I'm happy to tell you that while we had a few moments of frustration here and there, um, which I'm alluding to, we as a family actually were able to keep things very healthy in this context almost the whole time and treat each other well by listening well and being kind to one another and living these verses out and, and greatly enjoyed our time together. So again, I, I, don't, I don't have time to go into detail with all the stories and stuff. I look forward to sharing some of those with you if you want later in just one-on-one conversations or whatever. But I want to say on behalf of our family, thank you. Thank you. It was an amazing and enriching and powerful experience for us as a family and very refreshing and revigorating and all of these things. And, and I want to especially say thank you to our other four elders who did an incredible job, as I understand from all of the comments I've heard, uh, of standing in the gap and, and spending time preparing and delivering four great sermons as well. But anyway, back to this. James 1.19, being quick to listen and slow to speak is so important in so many ways, in our human relationships for one. And if the one thing you take home today is an awareness that you need to do a better job of that as well, maybe with your, with your husband or your wife or your children or whoever it may be, then praise God for that because that can be a powerful and, and uh, a wonderful thing. Excelling in such a way can be awesome. But actually, that's not what I want to focus on today. What I really want to focus on today is how this six-word phrase affects even more than our horizontal relationships. It, 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 it affects our vertical relationship with Almighty God. Now, this context of James, when he's talking about this and when he shares this thought with us through the power of the Holy Spirit, is primarily about human relationships. But if you look at the Bible as a whole, you see over and over that this notion, this idea, quick to listen, slow to speak, actually applies to our walk with the Lord even more than it does other people. There is nothing more important or more rewarding in our whole lifetime than learning to live this out and what it means to be quick to listen and slow to speak in our personal relationship with Almighty God. Nothing better. God wants to have a close, personal, rich, rewarding amazing relationship with each one of us as individuals. Each one of you. A lot of people don't really think that is true. They think that is true for a pastor or somebody else, maybe somebody who's grown up in the church, but they doubt it for themselves. And they have, at best, a kind of cold and distant relationship with the Lord. But I want you to understand that God, Almighty God, the creator of the world, wants desperately to have a close and personal and amazingly beautiful relationship with each person in here, each person who's not in here. And to do that, we need to learn to be quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, a lot of good things happened on our trip, but I would say the absolute best thing was that God spoke to me and reminded me of this. And just, I mean, really cemented it into who I am and helped Re, um, readdress some issues in my life and help me understand and hear his voice in a new and fresh way again. You know, I need, we all need, but I need especially to make sure that my first priority always in life is my personal relationship with him. There is nothing in all of the world that is more important for me, and the same is true for you, nothing more important than our own personal walk with the Lord. To be loved by Him, to know Him, 
to love him in return, to walk with him, to commune with him, to develop intimacy and understand what that looks like. And all of this only happens by spending personal and significant quality time alone with him. Some people have called it, for decades, it's been called just a quiet time. And that's what I want to share with you today and talk about with you today because of what has happened in the month or so that we've been gone and how God has worked in my heart and my life. I had other things prepared that I was going to talk about, but I just feel like or felt this week as I was preparing that God wants me to share with you what he shared with me and the importance of these thoughts. Let me ask you this. How do you spell the word love? It's not a trick question. In fact, I'll put it on the screen. How do you spell Say it with me. L-O-V-E, right? All right, very simple. We all know that. How many of you are parents? Whether your kids are at home or not, doesn't matter. Okay, your parents, okay. Let me ask you, and this a little bit is a trick question. Let me ask you, how do kids generally spell the word love? It's not that. Well, there's one option. He said that. I would say they, have, they primarily spell it like this. T-I-M-E. Primarily. That's how children spell the word love. And here's the point. God does too. Our God does too. You know, with the rise of Roman persecution, ancient Christians fled by the millions to Egypt in the desert to set up alternative communities centered on Jesus because these believers did not believe in letting themselves be passively guided and ruled by a decadent culture. So they started new ones so as to focus more and more on Jesus. And 1,800 years later or so, not much has changed. We still find ourselves in the midst of a culture seeking to mold us and our children into its own image. And the opportunities and pressures and temptations are more rapidly expanding today than ever before in the history of our world, primarily through technology and the advances of it. Today, our kids are not being put to death for their faith. They are being distracted to death away from their faith. And I think this is one of Satan's most effective tools to leading people, young and old, not just, not just our teenagers, but all of us, away from our Lord. I would call it the disease of distraction. And I think Satan is a master. He masquerades as an angel of light, and he looks for whom he can devour. And I think he is a master at using whatever tool he can to lead us away from the Lord. And I think the disease of distraction is one of his primary and most frequently used tools today. I found an interesting article this week about young people in this situation, and it really hit me because I think it applies to all of us, not just young people. It applies to all of us. It, uh, it documented that today's teens spend upwards of, listen to this, they spend on average beyond nine hours a day consuming media way more than any generation ever on the planet before. They move from one screen to the next in, constant, in a constant state of mind-numbing interaction with phones, but also maybe tablets and laptops and television screens and theaters. And screens are just one of the things that call our name and demand so much of our attention. There are others as well. But I think technology is maybe the key piece to all of this. And it's not evil and wicked stuff. Not at all. It is just something that is good that has been often elevated to a place of more significance than it should. As a grown-up, your statistics may be different 
But I think all of us need to understand and really heed this warning and understand what I think God wants to say to all of us, as he did to me this last month. Here's my conclusion. My conclusion is that I, along with most Christians, most Christians want to have a close relationship with Jesus. I hear that. I believe that. Most would even agree that time alone with him, call it a quiet time or whatever you want to call it, most would say it is good, it is important. They might even say it is vital. But they would also generally say, I don't really have time for it. And so, they are dangerously malnourished spiritually and disconnected from the Lord because they are way too connected to this world, primarily through technology. And just like the majority of husbands and wives that I have sat with over the years who are struggling in their relationship in some way and reaching out to help, coming to me as a pastor, in many cases this has happened, Just as that happens over and over, almost without fail, after talking for just a few minutes, I find with that couple, I find that a huge key to their problem is a lack of intimate time together. Before they were married, they spent all kinds of time together, going on dates, enjoying dates, enjoying being quick to listen and slow to speak, enjoying looking into getting lost in one another's eyes and talking through all the things that the other person cares about. And yet now, well now, when things have all of a sudden, suddenly, for some strange reason, come to a crisis point, they usually cannot tell me the last time they went on a date or what the other person really cares about or thinks about in terms of what matters moving forward in life. I'm not sure what matters to her anymore. Sometimes they can't even remember what her eye color is or his. And just like you cannot have a healthy marriage without investing a lot of time in that relationship, you can also not have a healthy relationship with your Heavenly Father without investing a lot of time in that relationship. To the first of the seven churches that Jesus talks to and talks about in the early chapters of the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, he says this before the book is closed. He says this to the church of Ephesus. He first compliments them about a number of things that they are doing well. This is a lot what I heard while I was in France. Scott, you're doing a lot of things well, but whenever somebody says but, it's the part that comes after the but that matters the most. You know that, right? But, God says, Revelation 2, verse 4, but I have this, this one thing against you, that you have left your first love. Done a lot of, you're doing a lot of good things, but you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. You know what repent means? We've talked about it before. It means to turn and go in a new direction. Not to just feel bad, but to turn and go in a different direction. And as I often tell that troubled couple, as I you know, mentioned, that they need to return to their first love by going on dates again. 
not that it's a quick fix, but go on dates again and actively listen to one another while looking deeply into one another's eyes and all of that. I want to encourage you, as God encouraged me while I was in France, to do the same thing with Him, and that is return and make sure you stay focused on your first love. There is nothing more important than your personal quiet time with Almighty God. And it needs to be a daily thing. And that's what I want to talk about with you this morning. Developing and deepening that relationship with your Lord. You know, in a society that increasingly seeks to fracture our attention as our enemy, the devil, who the Bible tells us, again, is like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour, using whatever means are necessary, whatever works best, I would tell you this. I think intentional and consistent alone time with God has to become an act of rebellion. It is not normal. It is not easy. It is not something that you see a lot of other people, even those who also consider themselves Christians, it is not a common thing. And so in that respect, we need to be rebels. We need to be willing to go against the flow. We need to do what does not come natural, what is not easy, what others might not be doing. And that is find a way to carve out time every day, not just Sunday and maybe Wednesday night or Thursday morning or whatever, not just once or twice a week. It's kind of like eating. I mean, if you eat just wonderful, amazing, organic meals, but you only do it twice a week, you're not going to be healthy. That's not going to work. You need to eat more than twice a week or even three or four daily to some degree. You see, we are too busy. And we don't have time for quiet time or intentional, consistent alone time with Jesus. But we need to find time. We need to make time. We need to create and carve out margin in our life and find a way to spend time alone with our Savior and our Lord every day. Now, what that looks like person to person can vary, but every one of us need to do that. Now, and I want you to understand this. I am not in any way trying to talk about or lead you to feel guilty about committing to reading a textbook or a rule book or something like that. It's all about mindset. It is not a have-to thing. It is a get-to thing. And God wants to invite us not to just read a textbook. That's not the mindset we should have. It is a love letter that we get to read and pour over and digest and savor and enjoy. And that's what He wants from our best friend to us a letter written to us that he wants to talk to us through and, and develop relationship through. He is eager to spend time alone with you every day. He's eagerly waiting for you to develop that relationship, and he's eager to meet you and spend all eternity with you someday. God impressed all of this oh so clearly to me this last month, encouraging me to also return to my first love, make sure that I don't get too busy, even doing good things, ministry things, that I fail to take time or significant enough time to spend alone time with him. And that's what I feel I need to encourage you to do as well. So how do we do it? Well, there are three ways. And the first uh, that I want to talk about, three ways. But the first is the only one that is really a prerequisite or a must. The other two are just suggestions. So I'll fly through those two. But the first one, let me give a little bit of attention to this. I want you to really think about it. It is this. If you're filling in the blanks, please write it down or at least make a mental note of this and remember it. The first key to understanding how to do this is to live by the first fruits principle. To live by the first fruits 
principle. The Bible talks a lot about it. Let me show you just a couple of verses. I could show you many, many more, but just for the sake of time, let me show you a couple. Exodus chapter 23, verse 19 says, Bring the best of the, say the word with me, with the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. We see it over and over in Scripture. Let me show you one more. This one's in the context of finances, but this concept is way bigger than finances. Proverbs 3 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the, say it again, first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Deuteronomy 26 has a lengthy explanation about it. You can look that up. There are so many other places. Google it. Use your concordance. But look for this concept. Notice it. And I want you to understand the power and the significance of the idea of first fruits. I think understanding the first fruits principle might happen best by considering its contrasting more common counterpart, and that is what I would call the leftover principle, which is what God often gets from many of us, what God has at times gotten from me. It's when we pray sincere prayers like this, like, oh God, I love you and I want to spend time with you, and I will just as soon as I first do or, or, oh, dear Lord, you're the most important thing in my life. And as I get going this morning, I just want you to know that as soon as I get my to-do list done, then the rest of the day is all yours. I'll give you all that is left over. In some ways, that sounds to some people like, man, that's a really nice, that's a good prayer. That's devout. That's healthy. No, it's not. That is the leftover principle. The first fruits, first fruits principle is to give God the very best, the very first of what we have. Let me ask you, how many of you uh, have one of these? Come on, if you do, if you do, a smartphone, how many of you do have it? Uh, take it out, will you hold it up? Take it out and hold it up. Let me see it. Oh, I see a flip phone. That doesn't count. Those are archaic. <laughs> I mean, if it makes you feel good to in, be engaged, go ahead and hold it up, but that doesn't count. They're not smart enough. But you know, if you have one of these, they can be a blessing sometimes, but they can also be a curse sometimes, right? Everybody probably already knows that. Um, they, they can be both. And let me show you a way to help ensure that it will be a positive thing more than a negative thing in your life. Let me show you a screenshot. Look at this. This is a screenshot of, my cell, of this cell phone, mine, the other day. And yes, in the background, by the way, that's me kissing my girlfriend in front of the Eiffel Tower as the sun was setting, torturing our son, making him take pictures as the sun was setting. Like, oh, Dad, will you hurry up? And I'm like, hey, I don't care. I just, I'm just going to keep making out with her as long as it, you know, whatever. Just, you just keep taking pictures. He didn't like that, but uh, he did. So, But anyway, this is the homepage for my cell phone. It's what it often looks like. As you can probably count, there are 17 icons on the main screen. And when my alarm goes off each morning, my phone often looks about like this. Now notice, look at that if you can. Notice how many of those little icons have a little number beside them as well. That's how many notifications I have that are telling me I need, I desperately need to open and give this thing attention. You know, read something or listen to something or update something or whatever. If you look closely, you can see at the bottom I got two unlistened to, unheard voicemails, three unanswered phone calls or missed calls, 13 unread texts at the top of the next screen there or next line. I've got, what is that, uh, five Facebook messages, a couple from Instagram and eight new emails and above that some things needing to be updated or whatever. I don't know. And, and that's a typical way for my phone to look in the morning. 
But notice at the top of that, right beside the sports score things, the app, ESPN app, which is super important as well, of course, <laughs> screams for my attention every morning. Um, but right beside that off to the right, if you notice, there is another app that is just sitting there quietly, doesn't scream at me or doesn't have any numbers beside it yelling at me, but it's the version app. And if you want this device to be more of a source of light in your life rather than a black hole for your soul, which sometimes it can become, I want to encourage you to make sure that that app is not only on your phone, it should be the first app you download whenever you get a phone, and it needs to be on your front page, and it needs to be the most used app on your phone. Let me tell you just briefly about what it looks like. In fact, here's a bigger picture of it. If you, um, if you don't already have it, it's, that's what you look for in your uh, you know, in, in, in the phone to go find it and download it. It's always free. It doesn't cost anything. And in this version app, you can find every version of the Bible you want. If you have listened to me very long, you know that I often preach from and quote from the New International Version. That's what I grew up with. I also like the ESV or English Standard Version, sometimes the New Living Translation, sometimes the New King James Version. Maybe you like the Old King James Version or, or something else. Whatever it is, you'll find it in there. You can pick any of those. You can also even pick other languages. If you prefer it in Spanish or French or whatever, you can do that as well. Whatever you want. But on top of the Bible itself, it also has all kinds of amazing devotional options. Um, places where you can go and, and, and uh, get involved in reading plans that will take you through your choice. Maybe it's the whole Bible in a year or the whole Bible over two years or just the New Testament in a year or, or whatever you want. Or maybe you want to do a topical thing, and you go, you know, I'm just really struggling with anxiety. I want to read all that the Bible has to say about uh, anxiety. You can do that. It'll, it'll show you that. Or maybe it's about parenting. Or maybe it's about dealing with your finances. Whatever it may be. You can find all the above and so much more in there, and it's all for free. And it is God's holy word, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. But it only does any good in our life if we use it, if we put it to use. And I want to encourage you to consider doing that. If you're like me, often the first thing I do when I wake up, and maybe you're like this, you wake up and I see all those little icons and I see all of those numbers that are screaming for my attention, and I usually check the sports scores and the weather and, oh, who texted me during the night or, you know, or, or oh, I need to return that voicemail. Oh, I've got to check those emails and all that. And then down the road later, hopefully, if things haven't gotten too crazy, I spend time with the Lord. That's not right. And so I have recently made a commitment to, to myself, to my wife, but most of all to my Lord, that when I, the first thing I would do is turn off the alarm. I have to do that. But other than that, on that phone, the first thing I will do is open the Bible app. I don't care how many of those little buttons are flashing or blinking or telling me I need to give them attention. The first thing we do is pray together as a couple and then read God's Word together and discuss that briefly. Now, I'm not talking about hours. Sometimes it's just five minutes or 15, but, but every day, that is our priority. That's what I'm going to do. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to do that. I'm not in any way encouraging legalism or something requiring this of you. I'm just saying that everybody needs to find a way somehow. Everybody needs to make time sometime every day to be alone with the Lord. And maybe for you it's in the morning. Maybe for you it's lunchtime. Maybe it's bedtime. I don't know. But sometime, a time every day. Now, I still struggle with a lack of self-discipline, so I've also 
kind of decided over the last month or so to do some other things, including I've turned off cable. Now, I miss watching Rockies baseball games, and if, you know, if we continue to leave it that way, I'll miss, you know, when the Broncos start playing, I'll miss watching those and whatever. And I'm not even committing to saying I'm going to leave it off forever, but for now, I just have felt like I need to turn off cable so as to listen, to be to be slow to speak and quick to listen and pay more attention to Almighty God. And I just can't do it with the TV sitting there yelling for my name and knowing that there are things I want to see in the evenings when I come home. So I've just turned it off. That's me. Again, I'm not saying you need to do that. Maybe you do, but that's up to you. But what I want to encourage all of us to do is to understand the principle of the first fruits and returning to our first love and making sure that God is first priority in our life and never just somebody who gets the leftovers. That's the key. That's what he shared with me, impacted me with, and that's what I want to hopefully share with you and impact you with as well. So how and when? What does that look like? Well, there's no one-size-fits-all method. There are endless ways to have wonderful quiet times, alone times with the Lord. Um, just like there are endless times to have wonderful dates with your spouse. The key is just finding one, picking one, and doing it. Maybe some variety sometimes is good too, but finding a way to spend time alone with the Lord. So let me just take a few minutes and share with you a couple of things. I'm running a little short on time, so I'm going to fly through them. These are not required. These are not prerequisites. One of them is called the M&M plan. There's a picture of it. We bought, uh, I don't know, a number of bo- a bunch of boxes of these, over 150 or so, and uh, they're all gone except what I got, three. I've got three left. We ordered two new boxes. They'll be here next week. If you want one of these, you can come up and get them, but let me just tell you briefly what it is. It's something I wrote and put together. Uh, Kirk uh, helped print it for us. Kirk Young printed it for us. Kent Gordon helped edit it and put it together, but basically it is the, the two M's stand for memorize and meditate. It is an opportunity to draw close to the Lord by memorizing certain small verses of Scripture and meditating on them and others that supplement that and coincide with that. And it is a powerful way to develop your relationship with the Lord. It has touched a lot of people, uh, including me and my family and our life group and others, but it can you as well. And I know a lot of you have already been using it, but if you want to know more about it, it explains it thoroughly in the first two pages. You can come up and look at these, or if you want to pick one up, you can. They're just $5 donations is all they are. And that just covers the cost of them. But you can do that if you want. But the idea is to find a way, whether it be this one or something else, to draw closer and develop your relationship with the Lord through. And this is one option. One more would be this. It is called the Lectio Divina, which is Latin for the words divine reading plan. Practiced alone or with a whole family, this ancient, long-respected Bible reading plan is a beautiful thing to do. And I don't have time, as I wish I did, to thoroughly go through this and lead you through doing this. But how about this? On a Sunday morning, can I give you some homework? I know you think that only happens when you're at school as a kid or whatever, but I want to give you a little bit of homework because I'd like to ask you. Let me explain it to you, and then I want to ask you to go home today and do this. It's as simple as this. You select a text And I'll show you one in just a moment. We're going to close by reading that together. And then we're going to worship and sing to our Lord together. But you select a passage, maybe a paragraph from Scripture or a chapter. You read it slowly and repeatedly. That's a huge key. You read it not like you do a novel or a newspaper article. You read it slowly and then repeatedly. Sometimes maybe in a different translation even. But you go back through it again and again. Each time you pause after reading it to meditate on what you have read, 
And then thirdly, maybe most importantly, you just say, dear God, and it can be just simply this short of a prayer. Lord, will you please speak to me? Speak to me. Help me to hear what you want me to hear through what you have just said in this passage. And then from that point forward, you live out Psalm 4610, which says, be still and know that I am God. I want to encourage you to do that. I want to do it just for, I mean, this is not giving it justice, but just for about 30 seconds. Will you stand with me? Before we sing and commit to the Lord that our heart is His, maybe you need to hear from Him as I did from Matthew chapter 11, Jesus talking to you, as I felt He did to me this last month. Here's what He says, how He words it in Matthew 11. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't usually use a paraphrase, but let me also read it to you from the message. It's a paraphrase. Eugene Peterson wrote this. I, I don't recommend paraphrases in the sense that you would memorize them or go to them for Bible study, but sometimes for just an interesting perspective, it can help. Listen to this again from one person's perspective of how Jesus is talking to us. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. More than anything else, as we prepare to go home, as we sing and as you go home, I want to encourage you to go home and practice that spend more than 60 seconds doing it, but then also just pray and say, dear God, if I need to better prioritize things in my life, if I need to return to you as my first love, Lord, help me do that. Show me how and what it looks like to do that in my life. Help me know what I need to carve out, what I need to cut away, and where I need to create margin, and how I need to prioritize you, because I want to see you as my first love give you my life.